Napa know-how. Right now, Napa Legend batteries come with a $15 rebate by mail. Their long-lasting durability stands up to extreme conditions. So even on scorching days, it'll puff its chest out and be all like, hey, summer heat, find another car battery to drain. Napa Legend batteries with $15 mail-in rebate. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores. Offer expires 831-18. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Finsider Radio. I am your host, Matthew Sonata, and I am joined by Sutton and Howard. And what a game it was on Sunday against the Chargers. And to relive it, let's take a listen in to the end of the game where the legend, Kiko Alonso, made history. Rivers got rid of it, intercepted! Picked off by Kiko Alonso! Alonso to the 20, the 10, the 5! Showing pressure, trying to get the prevent the Chargers from getting into position. Alonzo's going to be here, and what he's going to ask the ball is snap. He trips over and undercuts the ball. Watch the Miami defenders blitz. You see all the bodies coming in. Rivers knows he has to get rid of the ball, but Alonzo reads the underneath the short throw. He realizes pressure is coming quick. He knows where the ball is going to go or has to come out quickly. Rivers just doesn't see him. As Alonzo drops from the middle of the field, he comes over, he recognizes what's going on and just undercuts it and has the speed to take it to the house. With him. And yes, that is the ending play for the Dolphins were able to steal the victory over the San Diego Chargers as Phillip Rivers threw four interceptions at the end of the game to get the Dolphins to four consecutive wins. And the last time they got four consecutive wins was with Tony Sperano, when they had that playoff run at the end of that season, they actually won five consecutive games to close the season. And, of course, we all remember they beat the New York Jets where Brett Favre threw the game-ending interception there. And, guys, we were, we were talking about it last week on our podcast on Finsider Radio on the show. We, weren't, we, we all predicted the Dolphins would win, but deep down inside we weren't really comfortable with this game. Uh, you have an explosive offense with Phillip Rivers. You never know what tricks he can pull out of his, you know what. And Melvin Gordon just running like a madman, second uh, rushing leader in, in the league in the second half for carries and rushing yards. It, it was a game where, where people thought that the Dolphins would go in and, and have a decent chance to lose the game. And no matter how hard they tried, it seems, um, no matter how many chances the, the Chargers got, Phillip Rivers played like absolute crap despite the Dolphins' secondary having a bad day, Bobby McCain was having a terrible game. And the referees, it seemed like we're throwing the flags against all the Dolphins players for the littlest of calls, and the Dolphins weren't getting any calls thrown their way. Sutton House, you know, we text during the game every here, here and there. We all like to enjoy the game, so we don't talk too much during the game. But, you know, how about Ryan Tannehill? Dude was an absolute beast on Sunday against the Chargers. And a stat that I pulled up a short while ago, thanks to the Dolphins media guide. P- 
people complain about his deep ball problems, and that started when Mike Wallace was on the team. Ryan Tannehill has six games this season out of ten, or actually out of nine, I should say, since he had a bye week. Six out of nine games, he's had a completion of at least 50 yards. Guess what? That is the most in the NFL this season. The guy right behind him is Joe Flacco with five. And guess who's on Joe Flacco's team? Mike Wallace. So that goes to show all that deep ball problem narrative was quite a bit overblown. And Ryan Tannehill is averaging (laughs) 7.99 yards per pass attempt sixth best in the NFL this season and the highest in his career through nine games. Ryan Tannehill has 12 fourth quarter comebacks in his career against San Diego. It was his third consecutive comeback. Ryan Tannehill needs 60 rushing yards, 6-0, to become the all-time leader in rushing yards among Dolphins quarterbacks. He's currently at 202 yards. Ryan Tannehill was labeled a game manager by Clyde Christensen basically two weeks ago. And it was all over the media. They were talking about Ryan Tannehill, he's a game manager. And there's nothing wrong with that, in my opinion. Jay Ajayi was carrying this team. There is no doubt about it. Ryan Tannehill was handing off, and Jay Ajayi was winning games. But guess what? Jay Ajayi was stuffed repeatedly against the Chargers. And guess who came through in the clutch? Mr. Ryan Tannehill, the GOAT. Sutton, what do, what do you got? What do you got to say about my boy RT? Well, first of all, that that throw, that gorgeous throw that he had to Devontae Parker down the sideline um, for 56 yards when uh, when he threw the personal foul on top of there, and you saw that personal foul at the end there. That was the first time I've said the F word very loudly in front of my son yeah. and not care yeah. about the repercussions. I was so mad. I was like, oh, that's my quarterback. And we just, you know. But um, he made s- several, like he said, into my several great plays in that game that, that kept us alive. And the one, okay, just overall, I think I like that he's throwing the ball down the field more. I'm seeing, and, and that's the benefits of the running yes. game, am I right? And that you is know? also the benefit have, of an offensive line protecting him. Oh, absolutely. So you have more time to get the ball down the field, but it's so refreshing to not see so many passes around the line of scrimmage, all the you know bubble <laughs> screens and flare screens and jailbreak screens and whatever other screens there are, you know, getting the ball in those intermediate routes, which I've always thought was Tannehill's best routes to throw was in the intermediate parts of the field. And now, like you said, that, that deep ball's there too, and he's develop, developing his long ball with different receivers. It's not just one person. You've seen him connect long with Parker. You've seen him connect long with Stills. Um, obviously, Landry's going to do his thing. Did you guys see that one move that he had? Um, I can't remember. I think it was in the third quarter. Uh, Landry just catches it around the line of scrimmage, and – he he pivots like he's going inside and then just turns around and goes back to the outside for 11 yards. Did you guys yeah. see how sneaky, just agile he is? Oh, he's, he's phenomenal. I mean, the yards that he gets after the catch at times is just insane. And I think the play that you're talking about, I was looking at my team like, what the hell are you doing? You know, running backwards, running left, running right, stopping. And then I'm like, all right, now I see what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, juke the crap, juke the crap out of him. But I think the best, and I'm going to throw this to Houts after this, the best play that I saw at Tannehill was the third and two play to Damian Williams, the throw there. 
Um, just the the balls that throw the ball deep like that. Um, he had the matchup, and uh, and that was the uh, touchdown drive countering San Diego. They had just taken the lead back, 17-14, and then Tannehill drives them back down the field to retake the lead. I think that was a strong message right there, like we're not going anywhere in this game. So I think that was a huge play for him. Yeah, for me, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny because last week we're sitting here and we're discussing whether or not he's a game manager and whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. But, I mean, for me, Ryan Tannehill played lights out this game. I mean, even over the last four weeks, ever since that Titans game where he had two interceptions, he hasn't thrown a pick, uh, four touchdowns. I mean, he's consistently getting better. His weapons around him, Devontae Parker finally showed up. That was awesome to see. I mean, both of you mentioned that 50-yard dime he just threw to, to Parker on the side. I mean. For me, Ryan Tannehill has really improved, and what we talked about a little bit was Ajayi. That definitely has a lot to do with it, and even to piggyback on that, ever since the offensive line's been healthy, it seems like the Dolphins have had success running the football, and Ryan Tannehill's really getting better with that, and for me, it's it's just nice to see. It's hard to say what Ryan Tannehill is in the end, whether he's one of the league's best or better quarterbacks or, or where we rank him on our scale, but for me, Ryan Tannehill's played great football these last few weeks, and He's my guy, so if that's what we need to do to win games and see this team become what they were in the, the past, I'd I'd like to keep seeing what Ryan Tannehill has to offer. Oh, it's going to be interesting. Didn't even... oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say it's going to be interesting to see how the Dolphins move forward with Ryan Tannehill. He's due about $20 million next year, and yeah. but he's been playing some good football. I mean, some football where the team can win, doing just what he can, just what he needs to do for the Dolphins to win the game. As we saw against the Chargers, I mean, the Chargers' defense isn't that great. But still, he needed to step up, and he stepped up. Okay? Yeah. I think coaching has a lot to do with it, too. I mean, we've seen the coaches he had his first few years, and I think Adam Gates is a, he, he's going to be our head coach for a while, I hope. He, he seems to understand the, fo- the game of football, and I, I like what he's doing with Tannehill. Yeah, no, I think Adam Gates is a real deal, and he is going to, to do a lot of good in Miami. And listen, it's November 15th, right? And four weeks ago, we were talking about the draft and if the Dolphins were going to pick in the top five and which quarterback yeah. they might go after. It's November 15th, okay? And we're talking the Dolphins might be in the playoffs. And that's, I guess, all you can ask for right now. I mean, yeah, that's low expectation. You obviously want to be looking forward, but considering what the Dolphins were last year, what we thought they were going to be this year and what they are right now, we have a chance to go into Thanksgiving weekend, Thanksgiving break, Stuff our faces with turkey. Sit down on Thursday night and just watch all football. Try to force our wives to go Black Friday shopping without us like I'm going to do. And if I have to go, which I know I'm going to have to go because I can't ever get out of it, I'll be watching football on my phone shopping in the store, uh, using up all my data. But everyone says the real NFL season begins after Thanksgiving. If the Dolphins win on Sunday against the Los Angeles Rams, we are sitting pretty, boys. And to talk about that game on Sunday versus the Los Angeles Rams, we are joined by Joe McAtee on Twitter at Turf Showtime, part of SB Nation. They have the SB Nation blog for the Los Angeles Rams, formerly, of course, the St. Louis Rams. Uh, Joe, welcome to Finsider Radio. Thank you for joining us tonight. Hey, thanks for having me on. Y'all, it's not sitting that pretty. Come on, man. We got uniforms oh, and everything. We are, we are five and four, and we are rolling deep <laughs> in AFC. We are, we are in now, the so, thanks for having, Well, Y'all on a four-game winning streak, no doubt. Thanks for having me, man. 
Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Listen, the Rams, you know, they started off hot this season. Um, now they're four and five. Obviously, one loss more than the Dolphins. But the Rams haven't, been, haven't really been playing inspired football as of late. Uh, Jeff Fisher said today in his press conference, why, you, why are you reporters getting on me for not scoring touchdowns? We're two and one when we haven't scored a touchdown. Can the Rams sustain this type of success as the season goes on? I mean, they, they've had some weak opponents the past few weeks. They had the Jets on Sunday. They won nine to six. Uh, uh, what's going on with the Rams? What kind of team are they this season? So, so three points there. Number one, number one, can they sustain that? No, because this is football, and you guys have seen this sport before, and that is not how it's played. Um, you know, to the to the point that the Rams are two and one in games where they haven't scored a touchdown. Those also, you know, correspond with some of the best defensive performances that they put out uh, this year, and the anomaly of trying to align your worst offensive performances with your best defensive performances is not the uh, preferred method of success. That's part of the reason why Jeff Fisher's resume is not all that great for somebody who's been a head coach for 22 years, right? Yeah, and really it, now it is, yeah, and now for his fifth year in charge of the Rams, having yet to provide a single winning season, uh, you know, I, I get, you know, I get throwing jokes around and it's, you know, his shtick is fun, and he's a personable guy, and he's got a great personality, and he's the kind of affable personality you enjoy uh, being able to cover as your head coach as opposed to some of the, you know, uh, more sandpapery head coaches around the NFL. But at, at some point, you got to stop joking around. you got to start winning games. The Rams haven't put together a single winning season since 2003, and uh, it's wearing thin on long-term fans. Uh, you know, the the fact that the Rams are back in Los Angeles now for the first uh, season since the move changes the dynamics a bit. But uh, obviously the bigger storyline, you ask what kind of a team are they this year? The biggest storyline is that, uh, you know, we sure as hell aren't going to know this week because it's going to be the NFL debut of Jared Goff, number one overall pick uh, in the 2016 NFL draft. So honestly, I have no clue what to expect uh, other than the stereotypical Jeff Fisher coach team and, uh, if that's the case, it's going to be something close to those touchdownless wins and probably one of the least entertaining games you guys are bound to watch this season. <laughs> Listen, well, just no, to think uh, we were fighting over Jeff Fisher a few years ago. I know. It, it's probably the best L you guys have taken. You're welcome. All upset at that time, too. Joe, we're going to golf in just a second. I actually made my fantasy after golf, golf balls. Uh, this this season, I'm sitting pretty in first place. So I'm hoping you know wow. he doesn't have the same success my fantasy team has had this season. But anyways, I just want to jump to Todd Gurley real quick. Then I'm gonna throw it over to Sutton and House to throw you some sure. questions. Um, 515 yards for Todd Gurley this season, 167 attempts, 3.1 yards per carry average, 18 uh, his longest run of the season with 18 yards, only three touchdowns this season. Uh, Todd Gurley burst onto the scene last year was a uh, unstoppable running back. What has been the issue this season with him? Have defenses just been stacking the box with Case Keenum, or is he hitting the sophomore wall? So it's not even just this season. If you go back to uh, after he set the record for the uh, four games in a row, uh, hitting uh, the rookie uh, first four starts of his career rushing record, pretty much going back since that, I think it was week nine, uh, the 2015 season, it's been pretty pedestrian output. I mean, he's averaging about 60, 65 yards a game, something like that. I haven't looked at it since uh, this last week, but it was the same kind of a, 
uh, production. I think, you know, when you get a sample size that big, you're talking about a full 16-game run pretty much at this point. You know, it's comprehensive. It's the offensive line is not good. Um, and it's not just not good in the running game. It's not good in the passing game. And that constricts the kind of passing offense you can run. Uh, Case Keenum's arm constricted the kind of passing offense you could run. Nick Foles' discipline constricted the kind of uh, passing offense you could run. Jeff Fisher's preference of what kind of offense he likes to run constricts the kind of passing offense you could run. And so all of those factors combined uh, put so much pressure on Todd Gurley to be the only component that can really make this offense work. And I think, you know, at some point you get – you guys have seen it. The, the, the players that have so much on them that at some point, either the pressure's too much or they're overthinking things. They're over try, they're overdoing things and, and right, trying too point. hard to make plays by themselves. And I think that's been more apparent this year than it was in 2015. Uh, the lack of patience, the lack of trust in his offensive line, and you know waiting for holes to develop. I think he's just got so much pressure on him because he is. Todd Gurley, somebody that opposing teams bring up and obviously their defensive game plan center around so much uh, is that it's just not coming together. Now, the one caveat I would uh, throw out there is that the second half of this last game uh, last week against the Jets was the best half of football he's played, the best half of rushing offense the Rams have had all season. So maybe that's a sign that things are ready to turn over. Uh, But, you know, when you bring in a brand-new starting quarterback and who knows what the hell that means for the playbook, uh, it's hard to really extrapolate a bunch this week coming from last week. But obviously, as as much as he was ballyhooed going into the season and as limited as his production has been, it's been a comprehensive failure uh, pretty much all around. We are joined by Joe McAtee at Turf Show Times, the SB Nation blog for the Los Angeles Rams. Joining us here to talk a little bit about the Rams. We'll be with him for a few more minutes. How, what do you have for, for Joe? Yeah, we touched on a little bit earlier, but uh, with – the big debut of Jared Goff. I just want to know what your uh, expectations are from him in this game against Miami. And then I guess for uh, the remainder of the season and the future of his Rams career. Yeah. So, I mean, there's three ways you got to look at it. Number one, you go back to the trade because it was, you know, six years ago, the Rams drafted Sam Bradford, number one overall in the NFL draft, obviously came out winning the Heisman, the injury, his last season kind of put a different luster on his college career. Uh, but came in and won the Rookie of the Year in 2010, uh, was a win in Week 17 away from taking the Rams to the playoffs in 2010. A lot of people forget that because they ended up 7-9, and nine, but had they won that game the end of his rookie year, uh, would have been the playoffs. Um, and then things kind of developed into what everybody knows Sam Bradford's career to be since then. So, you know, that, I, I think that recolors expectations, the fact that Rams fans can uh, – uh, appreciate and recognize that the long-term future is way more important than the short-term future. And I think the fact that Jeff Fisher was willing to slow play uh, Jared Goss learning curve uh, maybe was the right scenario with Rams fans. Uh, the second part though, that you have to acknowledge is the fact that the Rams traded for him. So not only did they draft, they traded up. They didn't have any second or third round picks in the 2016 NFL draft. They gave away their first round pick next year. So they've pretty much tied the collective uh, future and chance to improve this roster entirely into Jared Goff's development. So you can't have, you know, what the Rams had with Sam Bradford, what I heard you guys talking about with Ryan Tannehill saying, I guess this is okay moving forward, or for now I'm comfortable. This has to be complete adherence and full faith into his capability to improve this team because you're just not going to get many opportunities to improve the roster 
a roster that's facing even more attrition since Jeff Fisher's hitting year five now. The last part you got to look at is the fact that he did get some time, obviously, in the preseason, and it wasn't pretty. Um, he looked like a rookie. Uh, the timing was off. He had some ball uh, security issues, something that plagued his time at Cal, which was really worrying, had three fumbles in the preseason, um, and overall just didn't look comfortable, right? It didn't, it didn't operate an offense the way you would hope a number one overall pick that you would trade for uh, would come in and run the offense, especially a, a, an offense that requires game management more than kind of, you know, wow, uh, physical skills, right? He doesn't have to be Brett Favre. He doesn't have to come in and wow you with physical tools because the Rams offense doesn't require that, doesn't even ask that. You just got to come in and execute and make third and three. Um, so those three things together, I think, are at the forefront of Jared Goff game one of his NFL uh, career, I think, moving forward. We'll just have to calibrate the bar based on what com- comes from these performances in the rest of 2016. Rams head coach Jeff Fisher said he's going to be the starter the rest of this season. So, you know, we'll see over the back half of this season what that means for Jared Goff and obviously what it means for Jeff Fisher, uh, head coach whose contract uh, expires at the end of the season. Thank you. Joe, thanks for joining us tonight. I got one more question for you, and I think we're going to yeah. let you off the hook here. Um, if you are the Miami Dolphins, how do you move the ball against the Los Angeles Rams defense? Yeah, so that's the biggest challenge, right? If you talk about the Los Angeles Rams offense, there's a lot of ways to beat that unit. If you talk about the defense, it's much more successful, and obviously coming off a game where you can score nine points and win, uh, that's probably the main takeaway. Uh, you got to do three things. Number one, you have to negate a pass rush. You can't let, uh, you know, guys like Robert Quinn, Aaron Donald, William Hayes, Michael Brockers. Oh, and let, let me alone... interrupt you right there. I, I did yeah. I did see that Robert Quinn was out of the hospital and that he's he was. Um, apparently in much better health. And so um, uh, glad to see that, that we'll be yeah. able to see you guys at rel- relatively full strength. And as well, it's one of those weird kind of, you know, non-football issues. Uh, you know, 911 audio call got released by TMZ Sports a couple hours ago. The rumors on social media seem to be pretty accurate that it had something to do with seizures. Uh, you know, and so that's one of those things where you worry, okay, is his NFL career now in jeopardy since this isn't even a football injury? On top of the fact right. Robert Quinn had a brain tumor in high school. Now, it's, you know, it was uh, identified. It was declared benign, and he's had uh, MRIs regularly throughout his college and NFL career. But, you know, when you, when you add brain tumor plus seizures, that equals something that's not uh, inspiring confidence. Um, but, yeah, he was back with the team today at practice, didn't take part. You know, when you've got all that talent, including Quinn, and even if they don't have him this week, they got plenty of talent on the defensive line to be able to apply high pass rush. You, you either got to find a way to, to, to block him as best you can, or execute a short passing offense. You, you're not going to be able to drop seven steps regularly and consistently. The risk is too high there. Number two, got to run the ball. It's not a great rushing defense, but it is swarming and it is physical from their secondary. Um, even though they lost Janoris Jenkins, who you guys might have seen on uh, Monday Night Football last night uh, with the Giants, who's a great run defender. Rams still have great run defenders all across their secondary, including from the cornerbacks, even on the outside. Uh, so you got to find a way to play physical smash-mouth football. That's what Jeff Fesher wants. That's what he gets. Uh, but, you know, you guys obviously a couple weeks ago with the game you all got from a J.E. are capable of getting something on the ground, and I think that would be aspect number two. Number three is you just got to come up with big moments, whether it's special teams or the one time that somebody makes a mistake, you got to take advantage of that. 
that was what got the Rams out to three and one. You know, it's not a great offense, but they took uh, advantage of the few capabilities and advantages they got. 0-3 in the red zone last week. That's, you know, the difference between winning games with 20 points and winning games with nine. Uh, the four-game losing streak that the Rams had going into last week was kind of the opposite, where teams were making the most of their few opportunities, whether it was Carolina winning a game with 13 points or New York Giants in London winning a game with 17 points. If the blueprint's there for how you guys are going to win it, you don't have to go out and score 25, 30 points the, guy, the way you guys have been on this four-game winning streak. Uh, you can win a game 13, 17 points against the Rams, but you're just not going to get a lot of opportunities. So the few that you do have, you got to make sure you execute. Their defense, you're right, is, is no joke, and we've seen their defense swarm against other teams this season. R- right before we let you leave, um, Here. what are your thoughts for Sunday in terms of a prediction? Do you feel confident? Can the Rams pull this one off against Miami? Yeah, so this one's going to be weird. <laughs> I mean, this is going to be a strange game. This is only now uh, the fourth game at the Coliseum uh, all year. Again, the Rams are playing in the Los Angeles Com- Memorial Coliseum, uh, breaking ground, let's see, day after tomorrow on new stadium that's going to open in 2019 in Inglewood. Uh, and, again, year one back in Los Angeles, so you got a Jeff Fisher in his fifth year, hasn't provided winning football. The Rams are four and five. You it, All year, going back to December of last year, there's been rumors of a contract extension. And to be <laughs> yeah. honest, a, a lot of people think the Rams and Jeff Fisher have already signed it, and they're right. just kind of waiting for the right time to announce it. So you've got a strange dynamic built into this season overall when you throw in trading up for a number one overall quarterback and not letting him make his first start until mid-November in a year when Dak Prescott and Carson Wentz have been playing since, you know, week one, this is just going to be a weird game, man. And, and the, you know, the fact that the Rams are geared up to play 10 to 13, 9 to 3, 9 to 6, 10 to 17 football, it's not fun and it's not pretty, right? It's not, it's not exciting. This isn't, you know, the, the big narrative that we had coming out of this week out of the NFL was, how exciting was Sunday football? You had New England and Seattle. You had the Cowboys and the Steelers. You had all this great football. And obviously you guys with a four-year win, four-game winning streak and all this stuff going on. is oh, man, the NFL is exciting again. With the Rams, it sure as hell is not, man. That is not what we do. We play really boring, methodical, straightforward football. And, you know, the system demands the same out of the opponent. And it doesn't always work. Uh, but – you know, it, it plays into the few strengths that the Rams have. So th- this is going to be a strange game. And, and I, I, if, if I have a prediction, it's that it's going to hew more towards that kind of football than what you guys have been used to the last four weeks. And we'll see. I mean, it, you know, that's not the kind of football you guys are geared towards. But, you know, the way y'all's defense is set up up front and the fact that the Rams offensive line is having to protect the number one overall quarterback for the first time in NFL game action, if Indomitian Sue isn't hyped up on Sunday as much as he has been at any time wearing a Dolphins jersey, I would question whether or not he has human emotions, man. You gotta be <laughs> you gotta be chomping at the bit to get after Jared Goff. You know what I'm saying? So oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, the, the other prediction I have, I'll throw this at you. I think the game will uh revolve more around the first half than it does the second. The Rams aren't built to play catch up. The Rams aren't built to score in bunches. They're built to play field position, field goal, running game on both sides of the bowl. 
Um, and, and so I think if they can establish that tone in the first half and get through it without giving you guys a bunch of points, especially if they even if they give up one touchdown, I think that's okay. But if you guys score two touchdowns or even stack a couple field goals onto a touchdown, I think that's going to be a problem. I think then you're playing too much Miami Dolphins football instead of Los Angeles Rams football, and the Rams aren't built to to catch up when you're playing somebody else's blueprint. All right, Joe McAtee from at Turf Show Times. Really great stuff on the Rams. Thank you for joining us. I'll be joining Joe's podcast tomorrow evening, so be on the lookout for that on my Twitter. If you want to follow Joe at Turf Show Times, some great stuff again leading up to Sunday's game against the Rams. Joe, thank you for joining us. Yeah, of course, man. Anytime. All right, take care. All right, and that was Joe and Sutton House. He had some really great stuff, and I know we weren't finished talking about the Chargers game, um, but real quick, let's, let's look at the Rams. Um, you know, like he said, it, what kind of surprised me there, you know, the Dolphins scored two touchdowns in the first half. He basically said the Dolphins will be able to win the game. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not that surprising either just because you got to think that if you can get to 17 points, you got to feel in a, in a pretty good spot um, against the Rams, and that's talking the total game. So if you can get 21, 20, 24 points, somewhere in there, you really increase your chances of winning compared to other teams that you might play, like the, the Steelers and the, you know, the more high-scoring teams. So um, I think it's an, an entirely possible that if that blueprint does go into effect, we get, we get up to like a 13-3, 13-7 uh, lead that we're going to be in, in better shape. Yeah, and another yeah, I, thing, um, go ahead, House. I was just going to say, we just pretty much we need to make sure we can uh, contain Todd Gurley like we did Melvin Gordon this past week. And here's the thing. I know a lot of people are concerned that the Dolphins will, quote, unquote, play down to their opponents as we saw them routinely do under the days of Joe Philbin. It's hard to differentiate yourself when you got had Dave Wanstead, uh, Tony Sperano, Joe Philbin, where that always seemed to happen. If you look at Adam Gase, and his teams where he's been the offensive coordinator, the Broncos never, never let go of the gas pedal. When they played inferior opponents, they crushed them. And I hope that's what we see on Sunday against the Rams. But what Joe said was interesting is that the Rams kind of style forces the opponent to play to their style. And I'm hoping that doesn't happen. And we've seen that. We've seen that when the Seahawks do it, when the Seahawks play the Rams, the Rams have the Seahawks number. The Seahawks can rarely ever find a way to beat them. The Seahawks play like crap against the Rams. We saw the Jets. Obviously, the Jets are the Jets, but even they couldn't get anything going. So I'm a little worried about that, but I do think the Dolphins would have the edge there with JHI just pounding the rock with Ryan Tannehill in the short passes. Um, I, I really don't see the Dolphins losing this kind of game, but then that's when the Dolphins do lose that kind of game. And, um, well, considering how well considering how well we've been taking care of the ball recently, and our ability to turn the other team over, um, I, I tend to gravitate towards the Dolphins' side on the turnover differential, you know, differential aspect of things. Right. So I think, you know, that's going to end up swaying the game. Yeah, granted, we're going to have to play some ugly football with the Rams. That's like, you know, like he said, that's what we're going to have to do. Um, I trust our ability to take the take care of the ball better than their ability, especially with the rookie quarterback coming in, Cam Wake, Sue. They know how to force fumbles. 
Um, obviously, we uh, showed that we can take off some passes last week. And that was one thing. Like, we didn't drop those interceptions last week. How many times have you seen games yeah. where we have an opportunity uh-huh. to make a play like that and we duff it? Yeah. And that's, and that's, what, that's what scared me. That, and that's what scared me about that Alonzo play. I saw him drifting out there. I was like, oh, man, he's right there. He could cut in front of that. And I thought yeah. he'd jump it. I was like, oh, man, just please just catch it. Just catch it. That was Kiko Alonso's first ever interception for a touchdown. I mean, obviously he's had a brief career, but that's it was crazy. his first one. Yeah, that was kind of surprising. Yeah. It, it really was because you don't, you don't think – when you think of Kiko Alonso, he is uh, sixth in the – tied for sixth in the AFC and leads the team with 71 total tackles through 10 weeks. So it's, he, he's great in the run game, but we've seen Kiko struggle in, in the passing game this season. And to see him just fire through to the slot – jump in front of him and just make that play. I mean, that came out of absolutely nowhere. And then speaking of Cameron Wake in the defense, right now he's tied for fifth in the AFC and eighth in the NFL with seven sacks. He's second in franchise history with 77 sacks. He won't ever catch Jason Taylor, who has 131 sacks in first. But 77 sacks is an undrafted free agent. Since 2009, entering the NFL, only two players have more sacks than him. DeMarcus Ware with 83, and Jared Allen with 78.5. Wake will get past Jared Allen this season. He'll get close to DeMarcus Ware. It does not look Cameron Wake is ready to retire anytime soon. The dude said he loves playing for Adam Gates. I don't see him going anywhere if he comes back for another season, which I'm sure he will. The defense has been improving every single week. Look at Andre Branch, for example. Since becoming a starter several weeks ago, he has 12 tackles, two and a half sacks, and six quarterbacks hits. Third and short, and when opponents have third and short, the Dolphins' defense leads the league with opponents having just a 42.3% conversion rate. Their defense is tied for second in the NFL on third down conversion percentage. Opponents have a 33.3% success rate. The league average is 40.1%. That is huge. But that leads me to my point. Vance Joseph is a defensive coordinator the first year very highly regarded around the NFL. He will be a head coach one day. Someone I talked to in the know the other day said that they think Vance Joseph will get a head coaching job this offseason. I don't think he will. I think he's at least one year away. But I want to get your thoughts on that. Vance Joseph, House, is, is he going to be a head coach this offseason? Or does he still have a little more to do? Yeah, with me, I, I agree with you. I, I think what Vance Joseph's done as a first-time defense coordinator with this unit, I mean, just the way he has the defense is playing is unbelievable. And I do think that later down the road, he's definitely in line to be a head coach. I mean, maybe a team might see what the Dolphins did with Adam Gase when they went real young and, and got this up-and-coming guy. Maybe maybe a team thinks of Vance Joseph as that. But for me, I mean, he had success with uh, Cincinnati secondary. He, he really molded that unit, and then he came here and – he made these young DBs and just all these players buy into his scheme and his his way of playing defense. So, I mean, for me, I, I like Vance Joseph. I'd, I'd hate to see him leave, and I do. I agree with you. I think he's a, a year or two out before he's a head coach in the NFL. Son, what are your thoughts on Vance Joseph? I mean, obviously, I, I love the guy, and I think the game plans have been much stronger during this this winning streak. I think you can just tell early in the games that we're prepared for what the other teams are doing. I think we're, we, we play the run lanes very well early in the game. 
and you just get the overall sense that this team um, has a kind of cohesive uh, plan in place. You know, everyone's on the same page. You see the communication better. Um, so it's clear that Vance Joseph is having a great influence on this defense. Like you said, that, you know, it's probably a year early, but look at it this way. If he does get a head coaching job this offseason, it's likely because the Dolphins have made the playoffs. So right. is that a trade you're willing to do? I don't know. But uh, um, I, I, I agree that I, I think later on he might be ready for something like that, but I think he might need a little more ammunition on the defensive side of things to really show what he can do. Um, just another year of tape, so to speak, um, build that resume a little bit more. I think, you know, usually when you see the, the coordinators jump ship like that, you see them making runs deep into the playoffs, Super Bowl contenders, you know, Patriot offensive and defensive coordinators. So I think although Vance Joseph will be a viable candidate, I think there's going to be other better candidates right now that have a more extensive resume at this point. So I think it's, prudent for him to stay with us, build it up a little bit more because it's all his, you know, this is um, organic to him, so to speak, you know, this is his baby. So uh, once he gets a little more infusion of talent in there, a little bit more depth, uh, get people back from injury, you know, we'll get Rashad Jones back next year. Mm. Um, The defense could be exciting with a few more pieces. You're right. And the biggest fear, right, would be, the Jets firing Todd Bowles, the Bills firing Rex Ryan, and Vance Joseph going up there for an interview. I think the Dolphins can block him from doing that. Uh, it's happened before. Would Adam Gase do that? I don't know. But like you said, there are more guys out there who have the experience, who have the resume to, to be in front of Vance Joseph. But I do think that if it's not this offseason, definitely next offseason if things go the way they are right now because he is doing a phenomenal job with this defense and covering things up. The good news is it looks like Adam Gates has set up a nice succession line. Uh, you always have Louie Anarumo, who was the defensive coordinator intern last season when Joe Philbin and Kevin Coyle got fired. You could always put him back in the mix. You could always uh, promote Matt Burke, the linebackers coach who worked with Vance Joseph out in Cincinnati and who has a real good feel of what Vance Joseph wants to do. And then we'll see other changes on the defensive side of the ball as Adam Gates continues to get his staff in here in Miami. The good news on the offensive side of the ball, Clyde Christensen has been an offensive coordinator basically his entire career. Doesn't call the plays, didn't call the plays in Indianapolis, not calling the plays in Miami. Great guy to have with, with Adam Gase. I don't think he would ever become a head coaching candidate um, just because I think he likes what he does. But if he were ever to leave, the offense is always going to remain the same with Adam Gase. He's a play caller. This is his offense. And Adam Gase has really set up a nice foundation for when staff leave eventually as the Dolphins find more success. And I know we're jumping the gun here really early because look, they're five and four. They have a four game winning streak. Let's see it's sustainable for multiple seasons in a row. But if this is going to continue, you will see staff get poached and promoted to other teams, which is what you want because that means you have a good, good organization. But Adam Gase is really working on a nice foundation to build upon. Look, guys, we're 40 minutes into this podcast. We have been absolutely on fire tonight. Uh, Really good show thus far with Joe McAtee from the Rams calling in and us just really going back and forth on a few different topics. Let's take a quick pause and let's go to our live thread. Uh, Not a ton of questions here tonight, 
a bunch of uh, random conversations going on. We have our usuals, Alpha 6, uh, making dirty comments to everyone in the live thread. And Daytona Dolphin going back and forth with him. Live thread is a little dead tonight. Uh, I will have to say 36 comments. Not bad. But do we have any questions here, Sutton and House? Do we have anything going on? Um, the only one that the only one that I saw was where are we injury wise? Yeah, Later in the week we'll find out obviously more, but uh Brandon Albert's going to see a hand specialist and from what I've seen, you know, if they can, you know, ascertain if he can you know, if he's gonna if any more damage can be created from him playing more then they'll they'll take another look at it. But if it's been determined that it's not going to cause any more damage, he's going to go ahead and play. Uh, Mario Williams is day-to-day. In terms of Xavier Howard and Chris Culver, I haven't seen any updated news. Okay. We have anything else going on there, or is that it? Yeah, that looked like it, unless you want. Uh, Detona Dolphin asked uh, how many ribs would the Dolphins break of Jared Goff's? Golf is um, in trouble on Sunday. I am sorry. He yeah. is in trouble. Yeah, I kind of feel bad for him. You, you don't want to wish, wish injury on anyone, but I mean. No, absolutely yeah, not. But, but man, you've, seen, well, you've, seen the Dolphin, you've seen the Dolphins injure quarterbacks this season. They injured. Yeah, what was it, four uh, or five? They injured Jimmy Garoppolo. They injured Ben Roethlisberger. They injured Ryan Fitzpatrick. These guys are bigger than Golf, tougher than Golf, have taken huge hits in their career, and the Dolphins have knocked these guys out. And then golf starting for the very first time in a regular season game. Uh, yeah, it will be interesting. Like you said, we don't want to wish injury on anybody. No. But, yeah, it's going to be bad. All right, we have a question on Twitter. Um, um, at Shacked, Shacked in 904, Thomas the Train, do you think an element of overconfidence could happen for this game? It feels like in the past we lose games we should win. And I kind of touched on this early. When you saw Adam Gase with the Broncos, they never took their foot off the gas. They just kept it down to the ground. They kept driving and driving and driving. I think this is a different team under Gase and these coaches. I don't think you'll see the Dolphins let up. They will score as much as they possibly can and continue to make a statement uh, throughout the NFL. I want, to, I want to share something that just came out just a few minutes ago from Football Outsiders. Uh, innovative Statistics. Intelligent Analysis is their slogan. Very well-reputable website. Uh, They came out with a DVOA for this weekend. The DVOA is Defensive Adjusted Value Over Average. It calculates a team's success based on the down and distance of each play during the season, then calculates how much more or less successful each team is compared to the league average. It breaks down every single play of the NFL season to see how much success offensive players achieve in each specific situation compared to the league average, and that situation adjusted for the strength of the opponent. Confusing? Absolutely. But all you need to know is that the Dolphins are ranked sixth in the NFL. That is right, sixth. One, two, three, four, five, six. Last week, they were 12th. This is a very good ranking for the Miami Dolphins. Their special team ranked is ranked 10. Defensive ranked is 7. Offensive ranked is They were rated as low as 28th earlier this season. So they are continuously improving. Ahead of them, one is Philadelphia, two is Seattle, three is Dallas, four is Atlanta, five is New England, and yes, Miami is sixth. They are certainly turning a corner. If you want to know more about DVOA, it's, it's confusing to talk about. It can take an entire podcast to talk about. 
Go to footballoutsiders.com slash DVOA hyphen ratings slash 2016 slash week hyphen 10 hyphen DVOA hyphen ratings. And then another thing I want to bring up, and we'll talk about this really quick, Pro Football Focus just released their grades. Ryan Tannehill, the best quarterback in the NFL with a grade of 90. Their analysis, mm-hmm. Ryan Tannehill made one of the throws of the season this week against the Chargers, and it was a big reason for his passer rating under pressure, coming in at a ludicrous 137.5, more than 10 points higher than when he wasn't under duress. Either way, Tannehill's performance this week was excellent, and it marked his best game of the season since week two. This has been far from a vintage year for the Miami QB, but games like this show you there's a lot of upside still there. And let's transition this before we wrap up the show tonight uh, into the game on Sunday. Sutton, can Ryan Tannehill continue this dominance against the Rams? And then, House, I want to get your opinion on that as well. You know, every game's different, and could he dominate this game? Absolutely. We've seen him do it before. You know, that's why I got a little frustrated with the whole game game manager label with Tannehill because, yes, he has been managing the game recently, but we've also seen him that he's capable of more than that. So let's not sell him that short that he's only capable of managing the game. He's capable of doing more than we saw last Sunday. So could he do it again? Yes. I just happen to think the better plan of attack is to go with the number two pro football focus rated running back in the entire NFL and Jay Ajayi and, you know, the uh, Joe from Turf Show Times said that the best way to attack is on the ground. Keep it simple. Maybe we can bust one like we did, like we did earlier. Maybe we can get some play action. Again, uh, get some rollouts. Um, we're going to have to take advantage of the uh, of their defensive line in terms of, you know, getting maybe a few more running back screens in there, uh, getting Damian Williams out into space perhaps, or uh, maybe getting Jakeem Grant a boost of confidence and maybe getting a couple uh, sub-package plays in there for him. So it might take a little creativity to move the ball against L.A., um, but what do we have to lose? And, and to go back to the, the to the question on Twitter, no, I don't think there's any chance we get overconfident this season because one of the overall mantras I feel like permeates that locker room is no one cares what you did last Sunday. It's about what you're going to do right now. So I think Gase is pretty astute at keeping everybody focused on the task at hand, and I think that's why he's been a pretty successful coach so far because he's taken this one game at a time, and he's he's shown his players what it takes to win each and every week. Yeah, absolutely. Adam Gates has done a hell of a job with this team. Um, for me, the question about Tannehill, whether or not he can have a, continue the success against the Rams, I think he can. But for me, like Sutton mentioned, it, it's going to come down to the offensive line, how well they hold up against the Rams' defensive line. And then how how well Jay Ajayi can run the football because we've seen over the last few weeks when he's running the ball and Tannehill and the Dolphins can use play action off of him. I mean, he's become a completely different quarterback. So, I mean, I think Tannehill can do it again. It's going to come down to whether or not the receivers on the outside can beat those good cornerbacks of the uh, St. Louis Rams and, and whether or not we can just establish the run game and continue to keep Tannehill upright and 
give him time to make those plays because, I mean, if he continues to do what he's done over the last few weeks, I think Ryan Tannehill can absolutely do what he did this week against the Rams. And besides Ryan Tannehill at Pro Football Focus releasing their grades and the best players at each position, Devontae Parker coming in with an 86.2, best receiver in the NFL this past week, according to PFF. Some other players coming in uh, for the Dolphins. Defensive interior, Earl Mitchell, 85.8. Nadamakin Sue, 85.6. The two top defensive interior linemen in the NFL, according to PFF, this past week. So you see the Dolphins, we all know they had a fantastic game um, against, against the Chargers. Let's see if they can keep it up against the Rams on Sunday, 4.05 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time starts. Game will be on Fox. It is being cross-flex usually. The team that's on the road, uh, their network carries it, so it would be CBS usually. Fox is flexing it into their spot. Because I guess the Dolphins are just that damn good this season, huh? Um, listen, Adam Gase doesn't look ahead, but you go you go six and four with the Rams. You get the 49ers at home. That's seven and four. Very winnable game against the Ravens. That's eight and four. I know that's jumping way ahead, but Dolphins have a chance to really make a run at these playoffs and really, you know, turn their franchise around in just one season. Let's do All it. All right. Do we have anything else? Anything on a live thread that may have popped up? We have nothing on Twitter. Um, a lot of interaction on Twitter, but really no questions coming in. A lot of interaction on the live thread, but really no questions coming in. Um, you know what? I have a question for you. What? No personal questions, please. Okay, fine. Um, do you think – okay, so Devontae Parker obviously stepped up in a major way last week. Do yep. you guys think that's going to be sustainable? Is it going to be like he did last year and have another late-season run? Is he finally if he healthy? To, if or was this a flash in the pan like we've seen? We've seen flashes in the pan from him all season long and dating back to last year. I think the answer is nobody really knows uh, because he's been so inconsistent. But you can see when he is playing at his best, how much he opens up that offense. And Tannehill was able to throw some balls in the air as a jump ball, and Devontae Parker was able to bring it down. So for Tannehill's sake, for the Dolphins' sake, for our sake, let's hope, let's hope this is the start of something for uh, Devontae Parker. Hopefully. One more question from Alpha on the live thread. Do you guys expect J-Train to have more than 100 yards in this game? Like uh, Joe was saying from Turf Show Times, the Rams have a very good defensive line. It will be tough, I think, but if the Dolphins are going to play the Rams style of football, they're going to keep pounding away, and J.H.I. will have a chance to go over 100 yards after he wears them down over and over and over again. (laughs) All right, guys. uh, Yeah, I I think think he's a very strong candidate for 100 yards. In fact, I think that's my benchmark for him now. Like, if he doesn't get 100 yards, I'm like, hmm, what happened in that game? That was a little weird. Like, I can understand the Jets game. Um, what 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 he ended up with in that Jets game? Wasn't it around 100? Was it over yeah, 100? No. Yeah, he got over 100. He got over 100 against the Jets. Yeah, so, I mean, you have to expect that to be the 100-yard benchmark. I was going to give him the benefit of the doubt against the number one rush defense at the time for getting, like, 98 yards. But yeah. you, you you got to look at having 100 yards every every game from him now. That's the expectation. Right. Yeah, plus he had 79 last week. So, I mean, I expect him to go over 100 this week. 
and he's only he's only about 725 yards away or so. Not 725, sorry. He's like 275 yards away. He has 725 rushing yards on the year. He's yep. 275 away from a thousand, which is absolutely insane. But uh, let me leave you guys with this as we go off the air in, in just a few seconds here. The uh, Football Outsiders has updated their playoff odds for the AFC East. The Miami Dolphins are up to 45.5% chance projected to get nine wins. Uh, that's a change of plus 18.4%. Staggering. Absolutely staggering, which is just a testament to uh, what this coaching staff is doing and how these players are buying in. All right, guys, we went 52 minutes tonight. We talked pure football. We had a fire show, in my opinion, one of our best yet of this season, uh, dating back actually to July when we came back on the air. We thank you for joining us. We thank Joe McAtee from at Turf Show Times for joining us tonight. And Sunday's game against the Rams, the Dolphins have a chance to go 6-4. and four. We'll see what they do. Enjoy the rest of the week. Follow me on Twitter at Finsider Radio. Follow, follow Houts on Twitter at Houts. Follow Sutton on Tinder or um, whatever social media platform <laughs> he has because he doesn't have Twitter. All right? I don't think he has Facebook. So wherever you can find him That's lurking funny. around on those match, ChristianMatch.com or wherever he is. Write me, write me a letter. <laughs> write me a letter. <laughs> or you could write him. a letter. He, he lives in Cleveland. Just put Sutton and address to Cleveland, Ohio. One of the homeless people will get it to him. Uh, I'm still recovering from Cleveland, by the way, just getting over my sickness from that when I met up with Sutton last weekend. Oh, that was great. But yeah, thank you guys for listening. We had a great show. Uh, we can't do it without you guys. Regularly get over 3000 viewers, uh, listeners per week. Let's keep that number growing. Tell your friends about hashtag Finsider radio. Tell your coworkers. If you're listening to this at work, press pause, go tell your coworkers, tell them to tune in and listen to our show. We'll see you next Tuesday here, same time, same place, Finsider Radio. Enjoy the game. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.